When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for the VolQuest Mailbag Podcast, answering your questions from the General's Quarters every week, right here on VolQuest. Hey, good Thursday morning, everybody. Welcome to the VolQuest Mailbag Podcast. I'm Eric Kane, alongside all surprise friend hubs and Grant Ramey. Big thanks, as always, to our friends, Exterior Home Solutions. If you need roofing, siding, windows, a garage, contact Exterior Home Solutions today. They've been local and trusted since 1999, 865-524-5888 or visit them online at ExteriorHomeSolutions.com. Got a full bank of questions today. We'll go ahead and start with Podunk Vol. What's the starting offensive line look like if Cooper is back, Austin Price? I don't think it really changes. Uh, you know, I think it ultimately is is the same. Now, do I think Ollie could get some run at left guard? Absolutely. Um, do I think he starts? No. Uh, I think if, if Cooper starts at center, it's the same. Uh, the question is, Brent, is does Gerald Mincy finally get the start he was supposed to get two games ago against Florida. Yeah, my guess is for this game, if Cooper can go, Cooper's a starting center, and I'm with you, everything else stays the same. I think Crawford plays right tackle uh, with a rotation for Mincy, um, and, in, and in Campbell's at left tackle, assuming everything's good to go for him, I believe it is. So that leaves Couric and, and Spragans at the guards. I think that's the way they start. Um, maybe you rotate a little heavier um, if Cooper is back. I don't know if, Co- if Cooper's back, Grant. I don't know that you can realistically expect him to play, you know, 70 stamps in the football game in, in his first outing out, given how little practice time and conditioning time he's had. Now, maybe he's in better shape than I give him credit for, but I'm not sure he could go 70 snaps for you. Is it harder to rotate, though, with a center like it is Mincy and Crawford at right tackle or, or whoever? Can you do that at center like you could do it the other four positions on the offensive line? Well, the di- I mean, they've done it with with Ollie and Dane Davis. The, the, difference, the difference is there's a drop-off between Cooper and Ollie and, and Dane Davis, whereas right. it's a little more even with, with Ollie Lane and Dane Davis at the center position. You know, here here you're, you would only be rotating if Cooper's winded and can't go. I mean, if he could go, you're going to play him every snap he can yep. physically play. I just don't know how many, how many snaps that, that, that is to go. But, you know, Mincy – you go back to last year. I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not sure JJ Crawford. I think JJ Crawford gets. I don't think he holds up very well, which is why you've got to rotate him. I think you look at his last two games. There are two of his worst games, and it's because he's had to play as many snaps as he's played. He's been a better player when he split time with somebody in his career at Tennessee. Let's go to Zoe West. Got a couple here from uh, him. Uh, Grant, do you still see this team getting to nine wins despite some of the issues here in the first four games? Uh, I think there's a path to it. I don't know if I see that path happening. Um, You better take care of business, obviously, against South Carolina. You better beat Texas A&M at home. You better uh, be pretty good on the road at Kentucky. You better be pretty good on the road at Missouri. Uh, Obviously, it's going to be hard to beat Alabama on the road. It's going to be hard to beat Georgia at home. Um, So you better be a pretty good team outside of those games you better be just about perfect outside of those kind of really tough games to win 
Uh, but I think the path is still there. Does getting Cooper back help mask a lot of the offensive line issues, or is it deeper than that? Uh, Austin, I, I think that, I mean, it's going to help. Don't get me wrong. But, I mean, it's it's a little bit deeper than just one player right now. Yeah, I think it masks the communication. Um, I think it masks some things. But there are going to be certain things that I, I don't think you can it, it will mask. Um, but I do think getting him back is, is a big you know jolt in the arm. Again, you know, the scheme allows them to not be – spectacular on the offensive line, but still be effective. Um, so, like, I think that's why you see them have, you know, certain stats that are really, really good. But, you know, when you need short yardage, this team has been, you know, it, it's almost like it went back to two years ago, Hubs. Like, they were so good a year ago. That first year they were, you know, not very good. That's what it feels like this year. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, part of that is has been the lack of quarterback runs, you know, and the lack of the threat of the quarterback run has changed that a little bit. Um, Jerry Mack talked about this on Tuesday, you know, in this league that the, the gaps are smaller and when you're in short yardage, you better, you better hit it. You better hit it with some leverage and, and some leg drive. There's been a couple of times, I think maybe there's a little bit, a little bit of dancing and hunting and pecking on, on third and short. I'll go back to what everybody, what I've said for weeks, there's a story written about it after the Eagles played the other night. How do you stop the Jalen hurts? What they call that thing? The tush push. They're calling that thing now, the shove, whatever. Tennessee's shown that one time, and it, it, it got them in the end zone. I don't know why you don't go back to, to do that with a six foot five, two 240-pound quarterback when you're you know, in third and one, fourth and one. I don't think you necessarily have to go fast there. Put some big bodies back there and shove that big body forward. It seems to work, and until they change the rule, I don't know why everybody's not doing it in all levels of football. Soapbox over. Go ahead, Eric. Put put three hundred fifteen pound Javante Spragans back. I, I prefer him actually playing guard. So put somebody else back there and just shoving forward because that's what Spragans did. Uh, I guess it was the Virginia game when they showed that. Uh, Grant, what kind of growth are you seeing from these young guys who have getting some snaps on defense? Uh, a lot of growth. It feels like a linebacker just because it's so forced. I mean, it's time to grow up, or you know, that's the only option they have is to grow up, and they need to do it quickly. So. Uh, I think you're seeing a lot of growth there. I think it's going to benefit Tennessee a lot in the future. Uh, the struggle might be right now in the present because those guys aren't necessarily, I guess, ready to play. It's not, you know, you kind of got your hand forced and had to play them a little bit because of the Keenan Peely injury. But I do think there is some uh, growth there at linebacker uh, in the secondary. It's it's just the same old faces for 60 minutes. Wait, Austin, uh, Rodney Garner was really high on David Hobbs earlier this week. Yep. Um We've mentioned Ricky Gibson didn't get as many snaps as what he should have, in my opinion, against, uh, against UTSA, but he's another one as well. But Hobbs is a, a good place to start. Yeah. I mean, you know, again, continues to get better every week. Um, you know, you learn through experience and sometimes you're going to get beat, but you know, when you, if you learn from it and David Hobbs is a really smart kid, uh, excited to have him and Arian Carter on uh, ball club confidential coming up on Friday and, um, you know, Hobbs is someone that they're extremely high on. Had Weathersby not got hurt, I, I think you're looking at two true freshmen playing a ton on the defensive line. Uh, we will move on to, let's see here, balls by 50. Looking ahead to next year, are we recruiting another quarterback in this class? Or are we going to go with only two scholarship quarterbacks on the roster again? Do the coaches go out to the portal to try to get some depth? Austin, again, you you spoke on this a couple of times. It's not really appealing route through the portal, but I'm sure they would take one if one wanted to come. 
Yeah, I mean, the problem is, is like you look at Ole Miss and they've gotten 34 transfer quarterbacks and, and, and you look at some of these other schools and they've gotten, you know, transfer quarterbacks. So like, you know, for the, for the fans, they don't, they don't grasp. And, and I get it. I mean, I understand their, their line of thinking too. They don't understand why, why do these other schools have three or four, four star quarterbacks. Most of the time, it's a position where, you know, a school has someone who is either going into his final year, like Joe, or um, doesn't have a clear-cut starter. Everybody just assumes, whether it be transfers or prep kids, um, that, you know, Nico is going to be the guy. And when you have a kid with a big NIL deal, that's that that that, that weighs on a lot of people's minds. Like, you know, I mean, you know, push comes to shove. Is, is he going to go on the field before I do? And so I just don't think Tennessee is going to be an attractive uh, spot for a transfer quarterback for kids that want to play. If they could find a Paul Tyson or a Hunter Johnson, a kid that, you know, it wants to be a coach. But they kind of have that now with Gaston Moore. I mean, like, you know, somebody who's serviceable if, if you know, all hell broke loose and they had to turn to him, they'd be okay with. Smart kid, can make a lot of throws. Um, you know, maybe not the most talented kid, but he's, he's adequate. Um, you know, I just don't. I just don't see a Tennessee. I mean, if Tennessee could add one, I'm, I'm sure they'd love to, right? You know, and I'm not sure. I'm sure they'll try, but I'm just not sure they're an attractive destination. I'm trying to think off the top of my head, and I can certainly look this up. But does Gaston have another year after this? He does. Okay, so yeah, I mean, you got a guy that's at that point in time will be a <laughs> a fifth or sixth year guy at least in the system, you know, with Josh Heupel. Uh, let's go here, Brent. 007 Vol says, with all the talk of leadership within the team in the first four games. Who has been the captains? Assume the players vote, but how are those kind of decided week by week? Oh, I, you're talking about game captains for coin toss? I would assume so. Yes. I, I don't know. I don't know how they go about that. You know, some guys don't want to be a captain at home because they don't want to miss running through the teak. Um, some guys aren't a big fan of, of doing that. Um, I don't. No offense to the coin toss, but I don't think that has any bearing on who the leaders are on the football team. Um, I think if you're talking about who. Uh, in, in the locker room, the leaders are. Um, I, I think you're talking about um, Big O. Big O. Brew McCoy, I think, is a is a quiet leader whose who's, who's actions carry weight and, and people respect that. I think Joe's been um, – I think Joe's been a good leader. Um, it wasn't talked about local media because they – you know, Joe gave it and the coaches, I guess, gave it to the to the TV crews at the end of last week. But, you know, Joe doing the text message thing with the scout team defense leading up to last week's game after the Florida game, telling them, hey, you, you guys need to we need you guys to push us more. We need to be challenged more in practice in practice. Some of those types of things. I, I think they're getting I think they're getting good leadership in, in the locker room. Um, I think this team responded well last week to the Florida loss. It's now about you know, going out and playing 60 minutes. They just haven't come close to playing a 60-minute football game at this point on both sides of the ball. Good to see him, Smith, 22-33 with the Lions playing on Thursday night. Uh, will the stadium explode if uh, five, Hendon Hooker, voices the hype video and comes out onto the field pregame? And then another question, Grant, um, are t- is Tennessee good enough on special teams not to get Beamer balled? I think they are good enough. I think we've seen some uh, lapses on special teams. I think it's more mental lapses than just not being good uh, in that phase of the game. I think they can be good and, and they could be fine against 
Beamer ball, though I don't know what the Shane Beamer versus Frank Beamer stats are uh, on special teams. And yeah, a night game uh, in the dark mode uniforms, if you have Hendon Hooker involved in that at all. Um, I think the place is already going to be able to uh, be ready to explode and all that stuff. But if you can get number five involved, it's, it's going to be that much uh, louder and, and crazier and, and just another aspect of it. Let's go to Gold Coast Vol. Back to the offensive line. Are the O-line issues primarily caused by a lack of physical talent, a lack of technique, poor coaching, or a lack of cohesiveness? If the answer is physical talent, is there anything Tennessee can do to recruit better there, Austin? Uh, yeah, I think it's more that Tennessee's not recruited well enough. You know, I think that they had a couple of classes there um, that just have not uh, shown any kind of development. You feel like you know, several of those kids are a long way away from being able to play. Now, maybe the light comes on. I mean, right? I mean, who had Theo Jackson before Josh Happel got here as a, you know, someone who's going to be playing in the NFL? You know, I mean, like, you know, who, who had him having the senior year he had? You know, you, you see that a lot. Just kids take a while. So, you know, maybe one of those kids, it clicks, you know, you know, a, a year from now and, and things start to click. Um, you just never know what's going to turn the corner for a kid. I mean, even a guy like Spencer Rattler for, at South Carolina, was I mean I mean below average last year before the Tennessee game and then has played like an All American ever since. So I mean you just never know when the light's going to come on for kids and and you, you hope it does. We'll go to Vol Rick. This one's a baseball question. Um, when does the uh, baseball practice start officially today? Uh, Tony Vitello will meet with the media later today. Uh, they'll start practice. I think the first official practice is today and you know this weekend. Of course they got two exhibitions coming up over the next five weeks or so um let's see would you catch with coach Vitello and ask who has been impressing during individual workouts especially Marcus Phillips and the other newcomers uh Marcus Phillips yeah he was the guy that was like in the uh the finals or whatever the home run derby Juco guy um he's an outfielder but he's probably more of a pitcher I mean he's about six foot four 235 so he's another outfield body but it's already a crowded outfield so I would expect him to be more of a pitcher and we'll see kind of how he progresses. Heard a lot of good things about White Evans. Of course, missed all last year, you know, with the injury. And so uh, getting him back, and I think that'd be good. Heard good things about him. Heard a lot of good things about Billy Amick, just his versatility. And, and a guy that I think is going to play a big role, I don't know I don't know where in this lineup or where defensively, but Dalton Bargo I think is going to be a guy that's going to help Tennessee a lot this year. Um, you know, in the Appalachian League play this year, he was playing – outfield he played third of course he can play first he's a catcher uh, a lot of versatility to Dalton Bargo's games I heard a lot of good things about those guys and of course we'll get a, we'll get over there a couple times over the fall and then those exhibitions to see kind of what they look like uh let's go to Gator Dog do you see any of the senior players using their COVID year Brent oh I think that's a possibility um you know certainly on the defensive side I think it's gonna be fascinating to see where you know Omar Norman Lott thinks he is uh, Bryson Eason, um, Elijah Simmons, when he gets back from injury, I, I think that's the position on the field that could benefit most from the extra COVID year, um, more, more so than anywhere else. That those are the those are the guys that I'm watching. No offense to anybody else out there who might have one, Austin, but when you look at a position that could change its outlook dramatically if some guys come back, it's the defensive line. If all those guys leave. Then, then the portal becomes a real thing for the defensive line. So that's, to, to me, that's a big storyline for the 24 football team um, come late November to figure out where you are with some guys. Yeah, absolutely. Of all the, I mean, those are the guys you want back. 
You know, I mean, those are the guys you want to exercise that COVID year. Now, there's a few. I'm not going to name names that Tennessee really probably needs them to move on. Like they don't because I mean Tennessee's going to be under scholarship limitations next year, and if you're not playing, like to me, like it, it may behoove Tennessee to you know move on from a few kids or kids move on to you know play their final year somewhere else because Tennessee, if they're going to go to the portal, they need kids that can come in and impact this team in 24 right away, and so like. Uh, uh, again, I think that that will be an interesting dynamic because I think with the scholarship limitations, playing at 82, 81, whatever they're going to be at, it, it's something that Tennessee's going to have to be very cognizant of. Well, and you've got a real numbers game, Grant, when you're talking about the, the transfer portal in January, um, you know, because you got to be – you don't you don't want to be sitting there in January and say, hey, I think we can get this guy or that guy. But we, you know, we're we're up against the number, and, and we can't bring this guy in. We we have to wait till May. the 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 second round transfer portal in May is not a great not a great time to get players. So you you better have your numbers sorted out pretty good in January if you're going to hit and get the impact players that you need out of the transfer portal. My question is, how much easier is a coaching staff's life going to be when the COVID years are gone? Uh, when it's done and they don't have to manage who might be coming back, who might not be coming back, who you're trying to get back, uh, who you're trying to add at the portal at a position where you might have somebody back and trying to juggle all those needs and priorities and trying not to run a kid off, but trying to run a kid off or, or all that stuff. I mean, it's, it's a, it feels like a headache for us to keep up with. I can't imagine the people that actually have to build these rosters and do this for a living. That only depends on how good that player can be. Right. Um, right. But, but I mean, you probably don't have a ton. Uh, I mean, t- you know, Tennessee's benefited from some six-year guys the, the last couple of years. There's no doubt about that. But um, yeah, it, it's it, it's a numbers game that that's pretty challenging. But again, we're moving in a world, Eric, where you know, telling a kid to move on is, is used to be like that was the death that was the death nail in recruiting, right? If you cut a kid, that was like, man, you can't do that now. It's certainly if kids are going to jump and go the way they they want to when they want to, it's become commonplace and accepted for a coach to sell somebody. You need to find another place to play. You know, now, 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 Dion does it as a made-for-TV event. <laughs> <It's true. laughs> I'm going to say it. It happens every single season. Just now, it happens. You know, in front of cameras for some for some of these teams. But and I also, I remember when, and again, I'm old. Go ahead, Grant. Insert old jokes here. I, I remember when Tommy Tuberville got the job at Auburn and he immediately told four guys that they weren't welcome, that they just needed to move on, that they were not, I guess he knew them in recruiting and didn't, didn't want them, didn't think they were good enough. And I mean, it was a major deal that a coach walked in and, and because the assumption for everybody for so long is that scholarships are four year deals instead of a one year deal. And so it was like a big, big story around the South that this guy's who is this Tuberville guy coming in and, running kids off you can't be running kids off and now it's like you say it, it's we're, we're showing it it's like the you know it's like the bachelor or some other reality show you know you don't you don't get the rose to stay you get sent to the house so and there's some kids that are still on the team that you thought were going to get run off and it didn't happen that's yeah, true too i mean it, it's yeah. crazy roster management's hard i mean it's the it's the biggest challenge for coaches out there for sure covid year even uh, excluded COVID year. Whenever it goes away, it'll still be the biggest challenge is roster management. I mean, look at what Rick's doing. In basketball, it's really hard, Grant, right? I mean, I mean, here's Josiah Jordan James. I'm out of here. I'm out of here. No, I want to come back. You, you know, um, and, and basketball, the calendar of basketball is all jacked up. 
in, in May on what you can do with kids. Yeah, and, and limited numbers in basketball, such a smaller number in basketball that you're trying to hit. Yeah, and Josiah mm-hmm. goes from, yeah, I'm out of here to, I guess we'll come back and walk on because uh, technically I was away from the program for however many weeks. So, anyway. And now he's back on scholarship, right? He is after Chris led him with that, that, that opened up the scholarship that, that, that Chris took Josiah's scholarship to begin with and he gave it back. Let's get one more before we grab a break. A uh, couple all in one here from Athron. Um, Vols win Saturday if uh, Brent, and then I'll get some recruiting uh, to Austin. They get off the field on third down defensively and run the football offensively. Um, when I say run the football, you can't run for 100 yards and win this game. You got to yeah. run for 150 plus. I think you got to be pushing 200 yards, and you've got to be better on third and, and third down in general, but certainly third and long situations. They were awful. Last year in this game on third and long, they weren't they weren't good at Florida on third and long. They got to get off the field. Austin, any update on some current commits that we don't talk enough about? Uh, I'll just kind of go in order here. Marcus Gorey. I'm just enjoying a senior year, leading leading, leading the region. Kellen Lindrum. L- Lindstrom. Having a really good senior year, um, but not not much going on. He doesn't he he's not a big media guy. He's kind of like a lay low, and you know he likes it that way. William Satterwhite. I uh, was here last weekend, uh, had a good first experience at Neyland Stadium, and uh, everything's good. Idris Farouk. I've not heard much about Idris Farouk. Grant, it was mentioned on the podcast that though Joe's accuracy in the game was uh, affected after – they thought Joe's accuracy in the game was affected after the knee hit. Is that something that can be corrected throughout this week as he gets more used to how it feels now? Uh, you would think so. I would think it also depends on how that knee feels and how much better it feels than it felt in the second half uh, when he had the brace on it and looked like he was limping around a little bit. Um, I didn't think – like, yeah, obviously he missed a bunch of passes in a row and, and he was, you know, half a step off on a couple of deep balls. I thought that one to squirrel over the middle, I, I, I'm curious if that's a squirrel problem as well as a Joe problem because Joe was so far off on that ball, so far behind him. Uh, on that ball, but I think it just depends on how Joe has how it's progressed through the week, what it feels like on Saturday, what it feels like uh, on game day. And then Brett, we'll leave this one to, uh, to you because you were just talking about this. Um, last one here from Mouth Run. For what seems like two decades, the Vols defenses seem to be worse in the country in what I call third and balls, which is third and long. Uh, how does Tennessee improve on that this week? Well, you, you've got to get home with with, with a pass rush. Uh, and then fundamentally, you've got to play, you've got to play better in, in the back end. Um, obviously, for years, everybody called it what third and Chavis because Tennessee went Mustang and six defensive backs and rush three and didn't get didn't really pressure the quarterback often. That 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 package worked better than fans want to give it credit for. But in some big games and some key moments, Tennessee gave up some long third down conversions in that package, which you know created that moniker. I think we go back to the Florida game just two weeks ago. Um, poor technique on, on the back end, you know, in zone. You've got to sync with with the guy. You've got to, you know, you've got to play over the top better. Um, that window that that Mertz threw the ball in on the Florida sideline where he dropped one in there. That window's got to be smaller. He can't have when he's scrambling out that way and cutting the field in half. He can't have a window to throw the ball in there. That was a good catch. It was a great throw. But that's got to be a really tight window. That 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 ball should never get completed on third and eleven there. Uh, so you got to play fundamentally better in the back end, and then up front, you still got to be able to push the pocket when you rush when, when you don't bring extra people. Now this week, I think you got to mix it up, Austin. I don't think you can set back on every third down 
a third and medium or third and long and just play zone coverage and rush four. I, I think you've got to mix it up more than you mixed it up in the first half at Florida. No, I think you've got to be uh, very multiple, and uh, I think you've got to bring pressure from every different every level. You know, I Wesley Walker loves to blitz from safety. I, I you know, and I think he's pretty good at it. You know, let him do it. Aaron Beasley, obviously. Um, you know, and of course, your normal pass rush. That, that's where I'm at. Like, you got to turn Aaron Beasley loose and let him go get the quarterback more, in my opinion. He's a really good blitzer. Jeremy Banks was a really good blitzer. Uh, Tennessee's blitzed pretty well from the second layer since Tim Banks has been here. So I'll say turn Aaron Beasley loose and let him, let him get after it some. Uh, as always, big thanks to Exterior Home Solutions for making this uh, VolQuest mailbag coverage possible. A quick word from our friends over at Exterior Home Solutions. Exterior Home Solutions will make one family's dream come true. Do you know a family need of a new roof? Maybe it's leaking or needs repaired. Whatever the needs may be, Exterior Home Solutions is going to get one lucky family Exterior Home Makeover. To nominate a family that you think is deserving, simply go to the website at exteriorhomesolutions.com slash makeover, and you can make your nomination there. Exterior Home Solutions wants to give the gift of home to one lucky family. Got some more recruiting ones here. We'll start with um, Vol underscore Nation 3. Cam Michael still visiting for the South Carolina game. Is there any other recruits that are going to be visiting this week? Um, Austin, I think there's two officials, right? Cam Michael being one of them? Yep, and Daniel Hill being the other. So, um, you know, Daniel Hill is uh, a little bit of a long shot, but Tennessee's good to shoot their shot this weekend. And then, of course, Cam Michael um, feels like his timeline continues to move up and up and up. And, you know, we'll see what else goes on. Hey, AP, is Daniel Hill in South Carolina, is that is that, is that a divorce or is that still – is South Carolina still heavily in that? Is he coming to look at Tennessee or coming to look at South Carolina, I guess is what I'm asking. No, I don't think he's coming to look at South Carolina. Now, I do think it, you know, it, it, they're one of the teams, but it feels like Alabama is the team that's most likely to land Daniel Hill. Um, but, again, Tennessee's going to get to shoot their shot this weekend and see where it goes. But I would say Tennessee's still running third. Maybe, you know, maybe they've got up there even with South Carolina. But it feels like Alabama is the team to beat at this point. Yeah, a couple of impressive 25s and 26s going to be in town as well. Matt pointed out on Trail Tidbits that, yesterday. That's one of those house-divided type deals where, like, you know, one parent wants one place, another parent wants another, and, you know, it, it's it's went further than – it's went longer than everybody expected it to because of that. Hoover underscore Vols says, do we have any currently committed recruits that are planning unofficial visits or OVs to any schools at this time, or is everyone that's in the boat – solidly in the boat i mean of course we saw boo carter go to colorado a couple weeks ago yeah gage, um, any gage, other ones that come gage, to mind yeah gage Gunther will be at colorado this weekend um you know home state kid you have to bear watching it um you know he stays in steady contact with tennessee says all the right things but again you, you know the home state schools you know you know doing doing some work there trying to get involved and, and we'll see if it happens but you know right now as of right now um, it feels like Tennessee's still, you know, the team to beat there. But, you know, the right visit or two could change that, obviously. A final recruiting one for right now. We'll go to Nashville TN. Big picture question. After the Orange Bowl felt like Vols were one to two good cycles away from competing with Bama and UGA consistently. Um, after a not after a good, not great 24 recruiting class and a sloppy start to the year, did we fail to use all the 2022 momentum to elevate the program? Is Tennessee's NIL not where it needs to be? Yeah, I would not say that. Um, again, I, I can use sound the board. Like, you know, each school has to make a decision on what they want to do in, in, in that, you know, aspect of every recruitment. And, you know, some kids 
you're just not going to do that with. Um, some kids you are. And, and then it comes back down to relationships, however. And, and that's why, like, it's not simply, it's just like, go out and buy kids. Like, that's not how it works. I mean, like, you know, probably 10% are like that. Like the other 90, it's a factor, a major factor, but it still comes down to the rate relationships, right? It's kind of like, you know, if you, if you watch Top Gun, uh, you know, the second Top Gun, Talks about the pilot in the box, you know, and, and it still it still boils down to the relationship in the room. You, you can't just it's not as simple as like, hey, I'm gonna give you X amount and come on home. Like kids, kids still want to feel like they are connected to a coach, to a staff, to the team, to the program, to the fans. All that stuff still is still in play, and so um, you know, it's something that you have to kind of work your way through. Well, and and I think the other thing too is. I mean, this is a, that's a pretty early judgment on the 23 class. Um, if you're saying they didn't take, didn't capture any momentum uh, from the 22 season. I mean, we, we don't, we don't know exactly what this freshman class is going to turn into. I mean, the, the reality is you're in the middle of a roster flip. And right now your veteran players, your good veteran players that Jeremy Pruitt recruited, your really good ones are off. You know, most of them are off to the NFL. Um, now you're, you're still finishing with your, you're still in the middle of the roster flip. It's just Hendon hooker mask a lot of the roster flip because you, you know, you took him and a guy that was a throwaway transfer in the eyes of most fans who turned into being a Heisman trophy candidate. Um, so I, I think it's too early to pass judgment on losing momentum. I, you know, I think Nico's going to be a good player. I, I don't, I don't think you missed out on momentum, you know, because you got Nico, you got Arian Carter, who's going to be a good player in time. Devin Hobbs, we've just talked about. Um, you know, I think there's others. Ricky Gibson, Jeremiah T. Lander. You know, there, there are guys on this team that are going to be good players. I think Ethan Davis got a chance to be a really good player. Um, so I, I, it's a little too early to pass judgment that you didn't take advantage of the momentum you had in 21. Because you don't judge the 23 recruiting class on seven months. Yeah, I mean, my, my thing is, I think when you look back and sitting here on September 27th, um, I think when we're, you know, we look back two years from now, I think everybody's going to go, wow, that 23 cycle, Tennessee, it, it was ranked like 10 to 12 or whatever it was. It was actually way better than that as far as like contributions and, and, and kids that can play. I think they hit on a bunch of kids. I really do. I think it, it still boils down to the coaches getting them on the field, but I think that they're in a really good spot there. 24, they're ranked, what, seventh right now? I mean, like, you know, it, it, you know, there's a fine line between being third and seventh. You know, uh, you know, there there are parts of this class that I think are way better than Florida's. Florida's third. You know, uh, I think that in some ways that some of those Florida kids are kind of like those Butch four stars from a year ago. And I'm not the one that says that. There are national people that say that behind the scenes. So like, you know, we'll see kind of where this thing goes. But ultimately, you're going to need a few years to kind of determine if Tennessee took advantage of it, didn't take advantage of it, or not. But I think that 23 class is. Really, really good. I mean, they've done a nice job in 24, but they've got to be better in certain areas. They've got to be better on the offensive line. I think they've done a nice job in 24. It's a solid group. Um, but the problem is, is Tennessee can't wait on those kids to develop. They need kids to come in and be ready to play next year, and which is why the transfer portal is so important, which is why these next few spots that Tennessee goes and, 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 and takes a swing at in the transfer portal will really probably tell the tale of how the 24 season goes. Grant, we'll go to you for this one, CN31. Could Tennessee play more of Arian Carter and Jeremiah T. Lander over Elijah Herring? Herring seems to be better suited to be a package or role player. 
Um, Arian Carter, yeah. I don't know if Jeremiah Tealander is ready for a ton of snaps or a huge spot in the rotation. I don't know if I'm wrong there. Um, I, think I don't Carter think would one be... of them are ready just yet. That's just my opinion. I, I think Elijah I, Harris going to play a lot of snaps. Right. If I'm picking those two, though, I'm going Arian Carter uh, pretty far ahead of Jeremiah Tealander. But I might be wrong there. But I agree with you that, that Herring's going to get the uh, majority of those snaps. Elijah just needs to slow down in the open field. He just needs to break down. I mean, he he's overrunning some tackles right now because he's playing a little fast. I mean, he's had some bust. Um, you know, he, he's learning on the fly, and he's got to learn fast. Now, I, I'll say this. I mean, the, the play and pass coverage that Arian Carter made on fourth down last week uh, after the, the Cam Seldon botch of the, of the punt deal on that fourth down play in the end zone, that was, that was a really good football play. To not interfere there, to not panic when the ball was coming and just run through the guy, that was a veteran play. I mean, you know, there are moments like that where these guys have had good, you know, good plays. They've got to stack more of them. Um, and Arian Carter's got – the game's got to slow down for him a little bit. I think you're starting to see that. I think the game's slower for Herring. I just think Herring needs to play slower than he's playing. I think he's playing a little too fast to get himself in trouble because of it. CN31 has another question talking about uh, Caleb Webb. Seems like he's a gamer. Came alive in the spring game, scrimmages, and now on Saturday. Question is, Austin, do you see Caleb Webb kind of work himself into the rotation, even with a healthy Keaton McCoy? Uh, maybe if they need a series off here and there. Maybe if they need a series off or, or here and there. But otherwise, I think Tennessee still sticks with what they always do. Greg McClain 8 wants to know, anybody know the procedure? Anybody here, uh, maybe Brent, know the procedure on how to send in film on plays that are questions to the SEC? Um, I mean, the, 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 each school fills out um, fills out a, a note or paperwork or an email each week, and they attach clips to it. Um, and, and every school sends in somewhere between 8 and 12 every week. Every school sends in somewhere between 8 and 12 every week. Even if you win big, every school sends in between 8 and 12 every week. Um, just it is what it is. And, um, you know, officiating is with all the cameras and angles and everything else. I mean, they, you know, they get exposed. I mean, the miss the miss face mask on Nico was just egregious. I mean, how, how you how you miss that one? I have I have no idea how you miss that play. Um, I mean, that one was as obvious as obvious could be to anybody. You didn't need binoculars. You didn't need to be zoomed in. I mean, that one was pretty clear what happened there. So, um, you know, officiating is never going to be where anybody wants it to be. Um, those guys have a hard job. I think there's some things you can do to help those guys more than what you do. Um, but at the same time, too, there's a human element. They're going to always miss something, and coaches are always going to point out on Monday morning when they send their stuff in what they missed. One time uh, one time, Tennessee lost a basketball game, and I guess officiating was pretty poor in that game, and, and Rick Barnes comes into his post-game press conference on the phone, <laughs> and he hangs up the phone to sit down and talk to us, and after we're done, we're like, who's he talking to? He was already on the phone with the SEC Um in the on the way from wherever he was, the locker room to the, the media room, uh, already calling his guy to complain. So that's his <laughs> process. He's not waiting till Monday. He's going straight to it. Well, and and the problem that you have, and, and this is where it's maddening for coaches, and this has been the way for years, is you send in your stuff Sunday, Monday, whatever. Then you get a call back. You know, yeah, we missed that one. Our bad. Sorry. Yeah. Doesn't help you much. It has, yeah. has no effect. But yeah, we messed that up. You know, we, we, we missed that one. Um, 
And so that that's that's just part of it. And it's been it's a tale old as time and will be old as time forever. We'll get two more here and then we'll call it quits on this edition of the Bellbag Podcast. Uh, Vol from afar, Grant, for the South Carolina game, do you think that Spencer Rattler, his mobility, gives South Carolina the advantage in the red zone because the field shrinks, uh, but he has the ability to create some things? Um, yeah, probably, just because of what we saw Spencer Rattler do all over the field uh, a year ago, not necessarily just in the red zone, um, just because of Tennessee's struggles on third down specifically to try to get off the field, especially in those red zone situations where you're trying to hold him to a field goal instead of a touchdown, uh, get off the field there. Um, yeah, he's he's played really well since November, since Tennessee, uh, that Tennessee game. So, yeah, he's going to pose a problem. I don't know about advantage over Tennessee. I just know it's a problem because I think Tennessee's pretty good too offensively and they can do a lot of things uh, in the red zone. And the last one, Austin, we'll go to you for more steam. Can we get an injury report for Saturday? And Ethan Davis, is he hurt? Uh, tweak the ankle. Um, you know, I think we'll, we'll dress Saturday. We'll be available Saturday. Um, and, and, you know, I think most everybody else should be available. Um, you know, again, I said this when we, you know, when we, we did the stock report. Like, I mean, would it shock me if one of these guys all of a sudden couldn't play Saturday? No, because Tennessee's really weird about injury stuff. Um, but at the same time, like everybody I've continued to talk to Hubber says, you know, like, you know, people are dinged up and they're sore, but should be good to go, uh, come Saturday. I, I would say that a few people might get shots between now and then, but, uh, you know, I think they'll be good to go. I'll be fascinated to see what, um, what Josh Heupel has to say in, in a few minutes, um, you know, mid mid morning on Thursday when he addresses the media, is this going to be the proverbial, I'm not talking about injury answer this week, or is everybody going to be a game time decision or is everybody going to be, Hey, they're all good to go. Um, I, I think there's three ways that, that he could play this one. And I will not be shocked if we get the guys, I'm not going to get into injuries uh, on Thursday because there's there's gamesmanship grant that's played. We know that. We've seen that. This one's a little more challenging because there's about eight guys to ask about when you talk about the injury report coming out of what, what we saw on Saturday against UTSA. Now that's what we need is an official injury report, and it's not a Tennessee thing. It needs to be an SEC-wide thing. It needs to be standard. It needs to be protocol. It needs to be rules to follow. You can lie on that thing just like you can stand in front of a podium and lie. At least you're not getting as many questions about injuries uh, during the week. If the NFL can have an injury report and they can survive it, Tennessee can survive it, the SEC can survive it. I mean, you've got the NFL adopting gambling. You've got uh, point spreads on the bottom line tickers now. I mean, everybody's, you know, the gambling's never been bigger, sports gambling, than it is right now on, uh, you know, above board, whatever. Give us an injury report, questionable, day-to-day, week-to-week, whatever. And then you have to lie on paper and you don't have to handle as many questions, which uh, coaches clearly don't want to do. I mean, in baseball, like in SEC series on you know Thursday afternoon, they typically make it available to where coaches send in their projected starters. And again, projected, it's not final, but you're only supposed to have one TBA. Coaches do two TBAs per weekend all the time. And I remember when Tennessee went to Missouri this past year, Missouri's Saturday starter came in and pitched, you know, at the, in the Friday game in the fourth inning. So, like, the coaches lie on that all the time, too. But right. at least there's a formality of something putting put on paper and getting it out there to the public. Well, it takes away all this bizarre phrasing and, and, and all that other stuff. If you just list ever, just list all those guys as questionable, right? Or probable or, or mix it up, whatever. It doesn't have to be 
it, it doesn't have to be the truth, as we all know, because I don't think we're going to get in a situation where you're fining guys like they do in the NFL. But at the same time, too, Austin, it's a better look for your coach if you list a guy as questionable and, and just wait and see what happens on Saturday as opposed to, you know, well, I, I, full anticipation that they're going to be able to play or expected or these, you know, it, it's just all this phrasing and, and bizarre, you know, different ways of trying to say something with, and how many times is Josh, I mean, I'm not picking on Josh Heupel because every coach does this. How many times has he said something like, um, not sure he's going to be available for this game, you know, or, or something that, and the guy's going to be out multiple weeks, but he's trying to put it in a one week deal. Just, Let's just do a report that you hand out to the media and, and let's go to the house. On like end. the perfect example would be Danico Slaughter last couple of weeks. Truly questionable, right? True, like, true, true game time decision. Yeah, like, but but Keenan Peely, out. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, again, it would, it would make life easier, I think, for the coaches. I'll be fascinated to see what Josh Heupel's phrasing is this week when he's asked about a bunch He's going to say in this one, in this one. That's his that's – his, that's his three words in this one. Yeah. Anticipate in this Running one. around, grass, anticipate. I will not be surprised at all if he just says, hey, guys, I'm not going to get into injuries today. Shane Beamer, Shane Beamer Tuesday said Juice Wells is out this week. I thought, man, they must have had a gun to his head or something. What's, what's he admitting <laughs> that for? Well, it's, like, it's like UTSA talked about Frank Harris playing. Frank Harris was never going to play last week. I mean, he's yeah. got tough though. They need him in conference play. They weren't going to get him beat up on the Tennessee. Uh, at Tennessee, he was never a factor to play last week. But they played it all week long for gamesmanship. So that's what coaches do. So we'll see. Maybe everybody's healthy, good to go, and then we find out who's not available on Saturday, or maybe we don't talk about injuries, or maybe you know he'll. Hey, and then in turn, Brent Tennessee prepared for Frank Harris all week long, all mm -hmm. week long. Yeah, they did. <laughs> never going to play, right? All right. Big thank you as always to sending in all these questions for the Exterior Home Solutions VolQuest Mailbag Podcast. Again, until October the 1st. Got a couple days left. You can win a free route from Exterior Home Solutions by nominating. You can go ahead and nominate a deserving family at exteriorhomesolutions.com slash makeover. If you need roofing, siding, windows, a garage, contact Exterior Home Solutions today, 865-524-5888 or online exteriorhomesolutions.com. For awesome price, Brent Hubs, Grant Ramey, I'm Eric Kane. Appreciate you guys as always for joining us here on the Ball Quest Mailbag Podcast. Have a great rest of your Thursday, everybody. You've been listening to the Ball Quest Mailbag Podcast every week, right here on Ball Quest.